0: Welcome to Success Story. I'm your host, Scott Clary. The Success Story podcast is part of the HubSpot podcast network. They supported the show for over two years now, and I've used HubSpot for the majority of my professional career. One of the most useful tools that is included in the HubSpot suite of products is Sales Hub. Sales Hub is an all-in-one platform built with the tools and insights that you need to communicate on a personal level with every lead, every prospect, every customer. It doesn't matter what kind of business you're building, Sales Hub makes it easier to close more deals and drive more revenue. If you're looking for a better way to acquire customers, and we all are because that is the lifeblood of our business, if you're looking to make smart, data-driven decisions, increase visibility, productivity, predictability of your revenue, you got to look at sales hub. It can organize and sort deals in your pipeline. It creates reminder tasks for your most important deadlines. It manages leads. It automates outreach. It tracks and closes deals all in one place. And on top of that, it's free to get started and it grows with your business as it scales. There's 1300 integrations and a ton of valuable add-ons. Customize it exactly to your needs. With Sales Hub, closing deals is no longer a big deal. Go to HubSpot.com sales and try it for free. Today, we have a very special guest who is not only a successful businesswoman, but a passionate advocate for women empowerment and environmental conversation. She is Sarah Dussek a managing partner and co-founder of Enigma Ventures, a private investment fund dedicated to supporting and investing in women-led businesses in Africa. Now, Sarah has an incredibly impressive track record of creating and scaling innovative ventures that combine profit and purpose. In 2022, she launched a $600 million capital vehicle to drive conservation efforts globally. With plans to invest in sustainable eco-lodging, Quiver Tree Collection will be the largest investment vehicle of its kind in the world. Before that, she founded the leading upscale outdoor hospitality brand Under Canvas, which sold in 2018 for over $100 million. Under Canvas received a spot on the coveted Inc. 5000 list in 2017. And in the same year, Sarah was also named Ernst & Young's EY Entrepreneurial Winning Woman list as a forward thinker and change maker. Sarah believes in the power of leveraging challenging circumstances to propel forward change. Give me the time in your life. There, there's a point in your life that was incredibly impactful, it sets you on the road that you're on today. So it could have been when you're growing up. It could have been uh, a point in your career that you took a total 180. It could have been something much more personal, like the way that, you know, your parents brought you up or early, you know, childhood education, whatever it is, there's something that has been meaningful enough. And there's probably a whole bunch of them, but there was one thing. Cause I can sort of pinpoint into my life at least when this thing happened or this career event happened or this life event happened. And it was like a light bulb moment that said, listen, I don't know where we're going to go eventually, but this is a direction I want to start going in. And maybe that we can kick it off that way. So pick that moment and we'll go from there.
1: You're, there are so many moments that that have been very pivotal pivotal in my life in terms of sort of shaping the direction the course of my life and my career has gone Um, But in terms of the work that I do now and the work that I'm passionate about, that I'm really excited to to share more about with you, really came about because of a moment of trying to raise venture capital for my own startup um, in the US and being faced with a VC who quite simply was a bully. Um, And he's probably not the only bully to ever exist in the world, but he was a bully that, that made me think more women have to be investors, more women have to build wealth and have to get into the arena of also being the ones uh, to invest in others and help make other women uh, make things happen. And uh the, the story goes that we I had spent uh about eighteen months trying to raise our first sort of fund large sort of round of capital from for my own startup and we'd been in business a long time, six, seven years, we'd bootstrap the business, um, but we'd come to this sort of pivotal point in our business journey where we realized if we didn't put capital into the business, we would get left behind that we would not be the market leaders, we potentially would lose big market share, would be gone. And we just knew that it was time to put fuel in the tank and really escalate our business journey and, and you know, stop playing a small game um, and play a much bigger game. So I went out to raise venture capital being very green for sure about what that looked like and and what what it would entail and how hard it would be and how long it would take. Um, and I found it infinitely more difficult than I thought it would be, but I finally got a term sheet to the table after about 18 months of talking to hundreds of people. And finally a prestigious firm said, yes, we love what you're doing. We love what you're building. Here you go. Here's a term sheet. And I was so relieved and so excited. And so, you know, I just felt like the future of my company is like, we're going to be okay. We're going to keep going. We're going to do this. All is going to be well. And the term sheet was horrible. <laughs> it, it it was not terms that we thought were going to work for us, That where they felt quite predatory and they felt really quite extreme. Um, in terms of where we were at in our life cycle as a business um, and in terms of the amount of control we would be giving up for the amount of money that we would be taking on board. And I remember saying, you know, I was so desperate to keep this term sheet though, even though, you know, when you know something doesn't feel good in your heart but you just keep going anyway because you don't want to let go of it and you, you don't want to pass up something that you've worked really hard for but yet at the same time you just feel like... Mm, I feel like this is quite right so i kept going i kept persevering until one day you didn't day take it though when i had to tell this i had to tell this guy um a problem had happened we were in diligence we'd signed this term sheet we were moving forward um and i had to tell this guy um a problem a big problem that happened in the company but that i was going to fix it i was going to sort it out I had a plan, but I needed to tell them, right? I needed to be upfront and tell them this is, this is what is going wrong this moment because there's always something going wrong in a startup, right? That's just life. <laughs> but this is what's going wrong in this moment. And he said to me, in reply to me being honest and transparent and not trying to like cover, it, cover this thing up, he said to me, that is really bad. That is really bad for you. If you don't fix that, you are not gonna come back from that this is going to be on you and it's going to look really bad. And I was like, what? This, this...
0: <laughs> There's a lot <laughs> of red flags bundled into them. that.
1: This <laughs> is like,
0: bing, bing, yeah.
1: bing, bing, bing. and I was like, mm, I don't think we're going to be really well suited to being in business together. This is, this is, this is not great. And so I told him, I don't think we can do this deal. At which point he cemented my decision by telling me, well, you are never going to be able to, if you don't take money from me, you are never going to be able to raise capital from anyone because everyone's going to want to do a deal like this. And I'm going to make sure that no one wants to invest in you because I'm going to black you. I was like, well, we, I am really sure
0: I am not doing a deal with you right now. Can I even frame it up a little bit? Like, cause you said you bootstrapped. So you were growing the company and it was healthy. Was it even, was it profitable? Like, was there all the markers?
1: Yeah. we were really profitable we were really we had we we were doing about 7 million dollars in revenue by about this point probably doing like a million dollars of EBITDA so it was i was doing really well and we were plowing all i know it was great and we were plowing all our profit back into um doing more in the business and putting more capital and to to, to focus on growth so um we were using every cent that we had to keep growing so there was nothing, you know. There was no. <laughs> we were seriously lean and keen, um, but I felt like you know I have a really great business here. My business is doing a lot of, you know, a decent amount of revenue. We're profitable. I've got this great onward trajectory. I and I, you know, I, we feel good. Um, but yeah, it was not to be.
0: So was that was was that under canvas, or was that a different business that you're?
1: I was under canvas. Yeah, that was, um, that was during my under canvas journey. Um, under canvas is a, uh, large scale glamping company, um, with locations across the U S. Um, but that moment made me realize if I ever sell my company, if I ever turn under canvas into something that is valuable, um, that somebody else wants to come along and buy at some point in time, I'm going to be an investor i'm going to put my money where my mouth is and start investing in other women because this is crazy
0: <laughs> it's it's very it's very sad it's, i've heard this story many times I, even um, a, a, a good friend and, and business partner of mine she sold her company she was a forbes 30 under 30 and she thought she would get in on all the right deals and all the right rooms after you have those kinds of accolades and even as an investor with money, with capital, she was not getting access to the deals that she wanted to get into, at all. Which is actually why we're working together now on something completely separate. But yes, it's 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 very shocking. It's
1: it's really hard. It's very shocking. It's like it's like this is not the 1920s. This is like we're we we this is this shouldn't be like this. And and I and I just fundamentally felt in my heart that venture capital doesn't need to be like that. And that actually, venture capital. It's what fuels economies because it's what builds businesses right and you know my whole philosophy now is is that um, that's how we move countries and nations forward that we we invest in building businesses because when we build businesses we create jobs that, that creates revenue that, that stimulates economies um, and that's what makes our world go around if we think about what what makes the u s economy One of the largest economies in the world. It's small business. It's business. Um, It's this ability, it's the American dream that says anyone can make it and anyone from anywhere can build something extraordinary and solve problems and make things happen. And we just build this extraordinarily um, incredible ecosystem of people hustling and making things happen and buying and selling and doing all sorts of crazy things. Um, But that's dignity, right? That's life. Um, And so that's why I'm doing what I'm doing today. Um, And today I have a small venture capital fund investing in female-led businesses in Africa. So the two-pronged approach of of investing in women and helping other women go on the the journey that I've been on and um, also using capital to help fuel economic growth in emerging
0: markets. We're going to go into that. I'm not done with under canvas yet i 'm I'm, I'm just so curious just, just one more we have to like we have to know I, I know how the story concluded because it was amazing and there 's press around it, and it was very successful. but how did you get over that hump so how did you how did you grow? what happened You, you got rid of this really
1: well I cried a lot that hump I cried a lot <laughs> let's not let 's not be around the bush right now. I cried a lot, and I felt really sorry for myself and i I had a little pity party for about five minutes. And after that pity party, I got back up again and said, okay, still got to go find money, still got to put fuel in this tank, still got to get this done. Um, So thankfully went back out to market and about six months later did an infinitely better deal uh, with fantastic terms. Um, with great partners who we loved uh, and I think they still love us because I mean <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, we went on and uh, uh, really really e- exponentially grew the grew the company and uh, about a year later after that um, unexpectedly sold the company uh, at the very end of 2018.
0: Yeah, it was a good exit so it was
1: it was quite a wild ride there for a couple that, of years
0: but that's how business is so what before we really focus on what you're focused on now, what would be the one thing that you would tell a young entrepreneur who's raising money, who's in a similar situation to you? 18 months is an incredibly long time, so stressful, so time consuming. So, what's the one lesson? What's the thing that you're telling somebody right now who's trying to raise cap? It could be a woman who's struggling to find the right conversations of the right investors gets a, or it could just be another young entrepreneur because yes, women probably have a much harder raising money, but I know a lot of just entrepreneurs that have predatory term sheets given to them as well.
1: Yeah. It's just hard. Well, there's, there's two or three things I might say the most important thing just on the back of the story that I just told is just because somebody offers you a term sheet doesn't mean you need to take it. So, right. Don't do a bad deal. It's always better to do no deal than do a bad deal, right? So do a deal that that you feel good about um and don't believe the hype that says uh this is this is the way it's always going to be, this is the only deal you can get, this is the everyone's doing deals like this, this is normal. Um and yes, there are definite norms in venture capital. But there's always a spectrum of normal. Normal is not one thing. There is no such thing as a normal term sheet. So so if something doesn't sit right with you, just don't do it. Work with it. And I think the amazing thing I found about not having access to capital, men, I got really creative, right? And I got really, really good at driving ROI, on very small amounts of money. So allow the barrier uh, to be an asset, right? So use it to your advantage to get creative to find ways of making things happen that couldn't have happened otherwise because because cap when you do get capital and you if you persevere long enough ultimately you will find cap you will find the right capital you will absolutely no doubt in my mind. But what you can do whilst you're waiting raise capital is make sure that you get really good at generating ROI. Because when you do get money, you know, large chunks of money hit your business, you can then really put that to work and be really good at making that money work for you. And what we see a lot of out in the marketplace is that when money's easy, um, and we're not in an easy money time right now, we're in a difficult money time, but when money is easy, we overspend we overcapitalize, we get ahead of ourselves, we waste it, and we're not smart. And all that does is it makes it harder for us to go raise more money. (laughs) And so what I would say is get smart with what you've got. Because if you can get smart with what you've got, ultimately, you'll you'll get good at generating great returns. You'll get great at making money. You'll get much more focused about having to be profitable much faster than potentially you would otherwise, which is actually really, really important. Um, and uh, you'll build a great business. Ultimately, your business will have great foundations because uh, you didn't overcapitalize too soon or too easily.
0: I'm... I, I'm- curious if you think there is ever a point when somebody should be raising money before they're profitable or or do you think that people should really focus on growth funding
1: yes um i think a lot of companies it's quite it's quite hard to build something profitable without something to start with um our own business we injected forty thousand dollars of initial startup capital and managed to turn that into a hundred million dollars in value. But that's a really unusual thing to be able to do, right? To turn $40,000 into, into cash that you can make more money from. So it usually takes some money to make money. The question is how much money, um, and what, what do you need, um, to, to get you going. Um, so, figuring out where that sort of first, uh, usually your friends, your family, your network, you know, people who believe in you are going to be the, the first people to rally around you to, to help you, um, get your foot in the door and actually start to make something happen. So I definitely believe in raising capital before a business is profitable. Um, but the faster you are thinking about being on the trajectory towards profitability, is definitely to your advantage for sure.
0: So after after under, under canvas, now you want to solve for a problem. So you're you you experience this this not so great experience with the venture capitalist. So this is something that you're trying to solve for now. So where do you go after under canvas? What's the first step? Is it, you know, a lot of people that were operators and businesses that could go into angel investing, or maybe they would bolt on to an existing um, venture capital firm and maybe try and improve them a little bit, but you didn't do that. Or maybe, maybe you did try all those things and I don't know about it, but eventually it ended up with Enigma.
1: Yeah. So maybe that was stupid. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) no maybe that's what i should have done no not at all
0: not at all so what is what is the goal so was enigma the thing that you took on almost immediately after did you take some time and actually like just take a break relax or did were you very headstrong and you jumped into
1: this i took no time whatsoever which was also probably really stupid (laughs) listen
0: it's it's because you're passionate about it i i do think you probably should have taken some time but it doesn't matter doesn't yeah, matter.
1: We, yeah, probably should have. You don't take any yeah, time yeah, at all. The thing, but...
0: you, you got a hundred million dollar <laughs> oh, exit, and you just jumped into like the next job.
1: No, well, well, well. The crazy thing was after that happened. Um, the night we we signed the deal for Under Canvas, you know, we we're ready to pop the sham champagne. I was still staying on for CEO for a year post post the transaction, and. Um, <laughs> We I I came home from work that day. I'd signed this amazing deal, um, ready with the champagne, ready to be all excited. And I have two young boys at home. I'm a mother of two, and my oldest son was vomiting up a storm. And we had norovirus hit our house that night. And for the next two weeks, like successively, someone else like got the stomach flu. And we spend the next two weeks
0: each Today's show is brought to you by 1Password. Now listen, we all have that one friend who's constantly forgetting passwords and needing help to get into their accounts. I have a solution. It's called 1Password. 1Password is the award-winning password manager trusted by millions of users and companies like IBM and Slack to keep logins, credit cards, and other private info safe in an encrypted vault that only you can access. No more sticky notes with passwords or using the same password everywhere. I've been using 1Password for a year now, and I can't recommend it enough. It saves me time from having to reset passwords and gives me peace of mind knowing my info is secure. With convenient features like automatic password generation and login autofill, 1Password takes the hassle out of passwords. You can use it on all your devices, iOS, Android, Mac, PC. Everything syncs seamlessly. And with top-notch security audits and encryption, your data stays private. So do yourself a favor and check out 1Password today. Go to onepassword.com slash clary and get a two-week free trial. Let one password remember all of your logins for you so you can remember what really matters. That's onepassword.com slash Clary for two weeks free.
1: <laughs> but I did go back to work for under canvas uh for a year of transition post post that sale. Um but so, so things were, were brewing from, for me during that, that year with thinking about, um, what do I do next? What do I care about? Um, how do I make this idea reality in my own head? And I, I was eager to, to get stuck in, uh, and get to work, um, working with other women, listening to their stories, hearing their pain and their challenges, um, and ready for a new adventure, so um that's what happened um and we started uh investing in the beginning of twenty twenty, which was also a really good time to start a new venture <laughs>
0: of course
1: of course, <laughs> but I was very thankful for it, actually, because um it meant that during that crazy crazy time. I still had a very strong sense of purpose and people to support and people to rally around because it's actually very difficult once you've, and maybe not many people talk about this actually, but when you've been a CEO and you've been a founder of a startup for a long time, I mean, 10 years is, you know, a good chunk of one's life. It was a quarter of my life. Um, it's very hard to suddenly not have that uh, you know, I had a lot of people I was responsible for, you know, I spent my life traveling from one place to another, um, being all over the place, um, meeting people and working with different groups of people. And suddenly for it all to stop is quite strange. Um, and I'm 40 something, so I wasn't ready to retire and, you know, go sit on a beach, um, still had a lot of energy and a lot of passion. And so actually I was very thankful that, uh, when the pandemic rolled around, and there was no beach to go sit on, <laughs> but I wasn't planning on sitting one on one. So, um, yeah, it it was um, serendipitous.
0: And and to each their own. I mean, I, I advocate for rest after having a ten year run and building a business, but I also know yeah. that it's
1: yeah. And and I would advocate a little bit from a little bit of a larger gap. <laughs> but it's than funny I, because I you're not that <laughs>
0: abnormal, to be quite honest. I don't know too many people like I. I I interview a lot of people. I was an operator myself and, and still am to a degree. And it doesn't matter if you have a successful thing or a successful event or something ends. You're just like, what's the next thing? It's always, it's just a personality at the end of the day. I really believe that.
1: It is. And the kind of people that are founders and entrepreneurs, that you know that's, that's kind of like the inbuilt thing is you're, you're designed to be going where no one else has gone and doing things no one else has gone. And you're constantly looking for, you know, the, the the path that doesn't exist yet so that you can go forge it. So it's a blessing and a curse for sure. So
0: you're using you're you're using that gift of of constantly trying to build. That's the good thing. That's a very good thing. <laughs> so so with Enigma. So this was this was almost almost right after um under Canvas. Now was Enigma Ventures was it originally just you investing? Because I know that you raised an actual you raised against the actual initiative
1: well we're still we're still trying to raise more capital um for enigma so i'm i'm still on the jolly merry-go-round of raising capital um and i i gave myself more pain because not only do i have to raise more funding for our fund but also now have a dozen startups who also need to go on and raise more capital from other people. So it's like, what did I do to myself? I just put our, put ourselves on the fundraising bandwagon forever.
0: That's the job now. That's <laughs> that's entirely the job. But I was going to say, did you did you start focusing immediately on women led businesses in Africa?
1: Yes, we did. Yeah, that's been the thesis. That's been the thesis from the beginning, really. Um, the the woman the woman part was is the easy part. Well both parts are easy to explain, but one's more obvious than the other and that um my own experience as a as a female founder just and my own sort of lack of knowledge made me think, um, I don't know I didn't know how this game was played. I didn't because it really truly is a big boys club, um, it really was quite difficult to navigate. Um and I I realized if I, you know, I'm very well educated. Um but if I felt like that, I can't be the only woman in the world that this was hard for, or this was difficult to break through in. So I just felt like I think I could I could potentially make it easier. And I could potentially help other women get a leg up um, in, in making this, um, traveling the same journey that I've been on. So that was the first part. And the second part with Africa is that um, I came to Africa in my early 20s. It was what inspired um, the formation of Under Canvas. In in Under Canvas, we reimagined the safari experience for um, a mass market audience in the U.S. by creating, recreating the safari experience outside of national parks across the country. And so I fell in love with Africa 20 odd years ago. Um, and... When I came to Africa the first time, I came as an aid worker, um, and I came working for an NGO that was doing AIDS education and schools and youth work, um, and I ended up working for NGOs for um, about eight years before um, finally moving over to the dark side. and, <laughs> and i I was disillusioned, frustrated um, and sad about how little impact I felt the work that I was doing at the time was able to make. And yes, of course, on a, on a micro scale, um, all good works. But I didn't feel like we ever solved, I ever contributed towards solving any big world problems. And I actually think that big world systemic problems are solvable in my lifetime. I think poverty is solvable. I think you know, clean water is solvable for everyone. I think healthcare for everyone is solvable. And I realized then that um, NGOs are not the right vehicle for solving problems. And that actually businesses are the vehicles that solve problems. You know, businesses innovate. That's, you know, the whole reason that business exists is because they are solving a particular problem for a particular group of people in a particular place and they become sustainable because somebody pays them to solve that problem over and over and over again. And so I loved, it just fascinated me this idea that um, business not only could be a force for good in the world, that actually we might be able to solve some big world problems um, and contribute towards building a world um, through business. And so that was the nebulous of the idea. Could we empower and support female entrepreneurs? Um, and could we also see if we could tackle some World problems. The I just want to
0: take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, HubSpot. Now, the Success Story podcast is part of the HubSpot podcast network. So, if you like this show, you'll love some of the other shows in their network. One of my personal favorites is the Hustle Daily show. It brings you a healthy dose of irreverent, offbeat, and informative takes on business and tech news. And you guessed it, every single day. Some of their recent episodes that were my personal favorites, how AI is making fake IDs how to meet your favorite CEO for a few thousand dollars, and also how TikTok is turning into an online mall and starting to replace QVC. If you love business, if you want to get it daily, listen to the Hustle Daily Show wherever you get your podcasts. Interesting. I, I have similar views about NGOs and the the the, the thesis of the NGO is, is great. Like they want to do a good job and they want to solve a particular problem. But it doesn't seem to move the needle at the rate that it actually has to be moved. It
1: doesn't doesn't move the needle fast enough. It doesn't drive change fast enough. And and I think NGOs are really well suited in a caring, supporting, bandaging, emergency, you know, here and now we need to help these people like right now Um, in terms of long term getting to the root of big issues. So that this issue doesn't continue to keep happening to millions and millions of people, I I, I don't know that they are the best vehicle to solve. Them. So
0: when you start when you start this venture, you you want to invest in 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 led and women owned businesses in in Africa. Um, walk me. Th- so I'm assuming day one it's it's some of your money yourself, and then you start to raise. Now, what are the nuances of of investing in Africa? Because I know nothing about it. I know that investing in North America is already high risk. And I and I, I even would know the institutions and infrastructure that supports it. So that at least, if, even though it's high risk, there's still some chance that if you have a YC company, or if you have some other company that has a, you know, has a big name, has a big name investor, there's a good chance they're going to be successful. But in Africa, there is an the ecosystem and there is infrastructure, not to the degree of North America, but you have to vet that out. You have to solve for what does good look like? How do you find the, the right entrepreneurs, right idea, right market? You have a better idea because you spent time over there for sure. But there's definitely nuances that somebody like myself and other investors in North America would not understand at all. So what are some of those?
1: Yeah, that's why you should invest in Yes, like exactly.
0: <laughs> you, you're the expert. That is very true. That is very true.
1: With people on the ground, working with people day in, day out. Because at the end of the day, I I think great investing is about investing in great people with great Nothing,
0: Nothing changes. That's that's the the core.
1: Nothing changes. No, at the end of the day, you know, still it's people that make things happen, right? However brilliant someone's idea is, if they can't execute on that idea, it doesn't matter. And so looking for good ideas with extraordinary people... Um, is what we we really are looking for and and if the ideas that people have happen to be able to impact a billion people 's lives or you know create services and products for a billion people on the continent or worldwide
0: so it was more it was more about the the African entrepreneurial ecosystem
1: yes um and investing you know we're looking for great people extraordinary people with good ideas and and that 's the same wherever you are really. Um, And so, you know, finding people who potentially could be solving problems that could, you know, reach a billion people across the continent or could create services and products for, you know, a a billion person market um, is what we're looking for, or or a company that could be global, produce products and services that could be utilized around the world. So the ecosystem, you are right, is just very early, so it's like we are fifty years ago we're at the origins of silicon valley and and I think the exciting thing about that is a there are an extraordinary number of opportunities because the ecosystem's so young um and there's great opportunity to sort of get in at the beginning of of something before you know things are really taking off, but at the same time, a real opportunity to do things differently than have happened through the venture space in Silicon Valley. And there's there's a lot that I would change, for example, about the Silicon Valley in investing space. And so Africa's, because we've got sort of, sort of an early market, there's a real opportunity to, to learn from everything we know about what works and what doesn't work um, and figure out, is there a way to look at Africa and go, what's going to work here? What do we know? What do we not like? what what's good what's bad what's ugly um and how do we do something new and that's pretty exciting for any entrepreneur that's pretty exciting
0: so maybe even like go into some of that what's what's not good about silicon valley what what should we do different what are you trying to do different in some of the companies that you invest in nurture mentor advise what are those things
1: i I, I mean starting point maybe equitable terms so very often what you have on the table is the money has all the power and the entrepreneur has none. And so we have, you know, a whole system that's built around the VC being powerful and, and, and the entrepreneur not being, and being very much in deference to the money that's at the table. So there's there's so much we can do to level that playing field. And yes, we all understand you know, we're trying to we're trying to make money by investing, right? But I also think we need to be true, real partners that sit alongside each other, para pursue, at the table and say, we're in this together. Um, and I'm not more powerful and more important than, than your effort and your energy and your sweat. Um, and my money isn't more powerful and more important than you. And so I think that's, that's one thing. Um, I also think investors acting like um, they aren't, like in charge <laughs> so you know we see that a lot right with with investors because they have all the power and all the control and all the rights and all the rest of it um that they act like they 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 dominate and own companies when they really don't um and actually what i think what entrepreneurs need is they need us a to get out of the way when they're when they're going great guns and they need us to ask great questions um, and help them learn the things they don't know that maybe we already knew because we learned the hard way or the expensive way um, and share those things, right? But, but but create an environment for freedom because um, we some people still have to learn their own way, the hard way, right? And I my own experience of investing is, you know, sometimes I can tell women, you know, that's, that's, we should do it like this. This is not the way it should be done or, you know, it'd be better if we did this. And sometimes people just need to make their own mistakes. And that can be, as an investor, can be very hard, especially when you know, oh, oh, that's not the right way. But if you really, truly believe in the person that you've backed, and because you chose this person, right, you've invested in them, you know, we've got to have more tolerance for mistakes. We've got to have more tolerance for learning. We've got to have... um. Greater capacity to sit at the table shoulder to shoulder and say We're in the trenches together um and so that no one ever gets that phone call that says This is really bad for you, you know you're gonna be out on your ear. I was like, What you know, no, it's like, how can I help you what What can I do to make this better? And it's like, How can I go ahead of you and open doors for you and make things happen for you um and that's what investing should be all about, I think opening doors. Um, Because we're gatekeepers, so how do we open the gates? How do we um, fundamentally make sure that more women and people of color are equally accessing capital? How do we make sure that the rooms look multicolored, multigendered, and no longer just white male who went to Harvard and Stanford and Princeton and all the rest of it? How do we diversify that? Because if we can diversify who's getting capital, we're going to diversify the problems that we solve, and ultimately we're going to build a better world because we're going to be building a world for everybody as opposed to just a small segment of society or or even just building a world for the West you know in terms of you know we have a very insular monolithic um way that that capital's being um invested around the world and it's it's in a western it's in a western way and actually that doesn't work for seventy-five percent of the world, and so how how do we start thinking more diversely, more globally, um, and tackling some of the, the the big challenges that we can see, and investing in capital where it matters? So, I see a lot of frivolous capital being deployed. The latest one I just heard a few weeks ago was like two hundred million dollars being invested in a company that helps you decide which watch you should wear. <laughs>
0: I haven't heard. I haven't heard this one.
1: It makes me want to blow my brains out because because could we think about um, investing capital to help people um, do something that matters, right? Change some, change a problem, change it, you know, solution that, that that really matters. It doesn't matter what watch I wear, or if I wear a watch, it does not matter. And so let's think about using capital as a force for good, and caring about what we do with it. And I think if we can think about not just investing to make a return, but investing to drive impact and to drive results, and that should be as important as the return we make on the capital. I'd love to see the stock exchange, for example, uh, value companies by how much good they do, as well as how much uh, profit they return to their bottom line. That would completely be a game changer for how the money markets work, for example. I mean, not going to happen in my lifetime. But but, but, but it's know, funny because they don't have things. to
0: be exclusive KPIs either.
1: No, no, they don't. And very often companies that are doing good are doing really, really well. Um, and so how do we start to put these pieces of the puzzle together? And so I think those are some of the opportunities for, you know, when you're in a new space and a new market of rewriting the rules um, and that's those are some of the things that I think are super exciting.
0: So what is the opportunity in Africa then? So what do you see with some of these companies?
1: Well, um, to put it in context, we had $5 billion invested, VC money invested in Africa in 2022. And I think the same number in the US was about $200 uh, billion. So we have a huge difference
0: yes, fair. <laughs> in
1: capital being, being deployed which obviously means there are we're woefully underfunded but we're seeing huge advancements at the moment um in fintech in particular fintech super super hot so you've got the movement of money payments digitizing services so digitization of money for example is is becoming a huge thing and, and moving a unbanked population to being banked for the first time um, we've got a couple of companies that are playing in that space that are both doing extraordinarily well. Um, we're seeing advances in education. Education tech is also uh, really big in thinking about how can we move the needle um, in the education realm. And we're just we're seeing tech because um, Africa has not been as advanced in terms of how much tech is integrated into everyone's lives um there's so much opportunity for creating digitization across the board in, in almost every arena. So um every day we're sort of looking at new opportunities to this this service to become online and this, and this and this and this and this and this. And so um that's that's super exciting too. So so definitely at the front end. And of course we have the statistic that says by 2040 25% of the world's population Working population will be in Africa, so a quarter of the world's workforce is going to be here in Africa. So we got to build jobs, we got to create companies, we got to create opportunities. Otherwise, we're going to have a quarter of the world unemployed, which is not going to bode well for any of us.
0: No, no, it's not. Um, but when you look at the opportunities in Africa, what are there's there's obviously reasons. It's it's not without any cause for concern why people have not poured money into Africa yet so what are the challenges that you face at a at a political level at there's there's layers to this that makes i'm sure some of it more difficult than a free flowing economy like the US so what are the things that also have to be updated in conjunction with
1: yeah so so we've got infrastructure Issues and depending on which country you're in, you know, the infrastructure may be more advanced or less advanced, and your logistics is therefore problematic, potentially with supply chain um, and production, local local production of products, potentially challenging. Um, I just don't think enough money has been invested in Africa, period. Um, And so some of the historical lack of investment just really shows drastically in Africa um, you know be that roads or hospitals or you know education you know some of the fundamental things that you know are in power. and you know I'm sitting in a you know one of the wealthiest countries in Africa I in I'm in South Africa um, has probably some of the best infrastructure on the continent um, and so it varies drastically wherever you go but I we're seeing all sorts of incredible people come up with ideas for solving even some of these big kind of issues. Like I, I, I'm seeing all sorts of logistic companies starting to come up, for example, trying to tackle the cross border um logistic challenges and digitize those services and you know, find ways to get things across borders much more easily. Um so there's definitely challenges. Uh um but this challenges everywhere no and I agree and what i'm hearing
0: everywhere i was going to say what i'm hearing i didn't mean to cut you off apologies i just wanted to to really paint this picture so the, a lot of the companies that you're investing are solving the infrastructure challenges that really it's it's almost like a chicken and egg scenario so you have people that are not willing or not wanting to invest in africa but when somebody is willing to invest in africa then you actually solve problems that would make Africa more investable to the average North American or even global investor.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and you are seeing money being poured into Africa. The Chinese have, you know, have been notoriously pouring money into the continent for decades and decades and decades, you know, building mines for, you know, mining that, you know, Africa's so rich in in minerals and resources and gold and diamonds and all the rest of it um and you know in exchange for opportunity to mine those resources are building roads and schools and public services and so um i think the challenge becomes um can we enable africa to build itself um and invest in itself um and how do we bring capital into the continent that empowers real people to build on the ground rather than um, waiting for governments to fix things that they may have never fixed or never done or never been able to do. And so, you know, I'm, I'm a big uh, believer in power to the little people, power to the people on the ground, um, because that's how I think you really build economies and you really drive change and you build from the ground up.
0: Now, um, obviously, you only have so much money that you can flow into Africa through through enigma, and there's a lot of entrepreneurs that need access to capital so it, it is a highly competitive environment right now for the entrepreneurs that are even you know speaking with you so how do you how do you decide who to work with, but also on the other side, how does somebody stand out
1: Yeah, great question so yeah i I typically look at about ten thousand applications a year
0: oh my God.
1: Um, which is a
0: lot. It's a lot of applications.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's a lot of applications. So to stand out, you've got to be pretty darn.
0: Eufy is sponsoring today's video. They reached out to me. I tested out their video lock. It is a game changer. I'm going to paint a picture for you for why I'm so excited to work with them. So you're getting home. Your arms are loaded with groceries or packages or boxes or everything. And your keys are in your pocket. This drives me nuts. This happens all the time. I upgraded to the Eufy video lock to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash Clary. Just go to indeed.com slash Clary right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clary. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed.
1: Spectacular. But I tell you what stands out more than anything and it's traction. So when you can prove... You've already done something and you're already doing it, and you've already got huge amounts of momentum and you're growing really fast. It's really hard to pass that up, right? Because, really, venture capital all we really want to do is back something that's already working, that's already got some momentum, and that you can pour some fuel on the fire. So, you want there to be a fire, you want there to to, to be something that's already raging and that you just help it out just a little bit by putting more fuel into it. So I'm looking for stuff that's growing. It's growing, you know, rapidly month over month. It's got a really good trajectory, um, that it's easy to see if we just put more capital to work, this growth can continue because um, that's magic.
0: I love that. And what would be the advice? Because I know that, you know, you you pitched to a whole bunch of VCs and now you're now you're on the other side of it. So when, when women are pitching in particular, um, I know that there was a couple of things that you sent over ahead of time, which I thought was an interesting point that you laid out. Navigating the confidence gap. What is the confidence gap when it comes specifically to women pitching venture capitalists trying to get money? Is that like imposter syndrome? Like, what is that?
1: Um, I think the difference is that, that men... And we're being stereotypical, right? Because you know that's the only way we can have this kind of conversation. Of course, it's not true for all men, and it's not true for all women. But if we're stereotypical for a millisecond, um women tend to be very realistic and uh, measured in the way they pitch themselves. In terms of, they tend not to ever overinflate their numbers. They tend to not be overly aggressive. They tend to not uh, want to project something they are not five thousand percent confident they can deliver on and for venture capital that just doesn't cut it right because what you're looking for is somebody to say i'm gonna build the next uber for africa and they want I'm the vision the most uber grandiose gonna, vision you want you want the adam newman craziness right <laughs> you
0: know. that that's another that's that's a whole other conversation you know, quite well, he, that much yeah. crazy
1: crazy yeah. but You want women who are not afraid to stand in the room and say, I'm going to build a billion dollar company or I'm going to build a hundred million dollar company and here's how I'm going to do it. Um, And I'm going to do this, 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 and this, and this. And that they've got vision and clarity for something that's enormous. Um, And I think women often get scared of enormous because they're worried about, I'm here right now and can't necessarily connect all the dots between here and there. And the reality is, when you're at the beginning stages of your journey, nobody can connect the dots from here to here. But all you've got is crazy ideas that say, "I think this is possible." And so we need women um, to to pitch bigger dreams because bigger dreams is what excites people. Because people are trying to make a return, trying to make big returns, right? Venture capitals, you know, high risk, high reward kind of game. So. Women tend to play it a bit more safe, tend to play it a bit more conservatively, tend to be much more measured and will inevitably deliver on all those things that they just pitched, um, but may, may not win the, win the game, may not win the, win the investment. And so um, I, think, I think the gap is between realism and optimism um, and venture capitalism requires an enormous amount of optimism. And then we settle for realism when we can't pull it off, right? But um, we need women to sort of move into this like, here's the next level of of imagining what could be possible in a, you know, with an incredible wind and all things like working out. If
0: everything works out, best case scenario, this is what's happening. Best
1: case scenarios, exactly. And I think what women pitch often is realistic scenarios. And that is unfortunately not winning prizes.
0: Another stat that's really concerning and it's shocking, and I always get these shocking stats, which are actually quite depressing when I do these interviews because I speak to the people that are researching them, and they're in these worlds. So, three point four percent was the funding for women entrepreneurs pre-pandemic. I don't know what the 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 sample was for that in particular. Maybe it's North America. Maybe you can. Um,
1: it be North America. Yeah. Yeah,
0: but it, it was it reduced from three point four percent to two point four percent of overall funding, which is absolutely wild. Those numbers are like so so horrible, but I guess if these are the numbers, these are the the numbers. The
1: crazy thing is is that stat hasn't really it's not really changed. I mean yes, that's like a little drop, but the stat has I have issue with more of the
0: three point four percent than anything. Like it's like the three point four percent to two point four percent sucks. But the issue is not that it went from three point four to two point four. The issue is that it started at three point four.
1: Yeah, exactly. And just and just that it's been like that for decades. It just hasn't changed. That there's been no major movement in decades. It's not like oh, last year was a bad year and we had a dip, and we were on the up every other year prior to that. No, that's just not the trajectory of how that's been. And and we're not moving the needle on it. And we're not we're not seeing it change at all. Uh, and and as you said, it's it's getting worse more than anything. So I. You know that it is a depressing a depressing stat, and the only thing there's two things that will move the needle just like when we had to all get real with it's no longer okay that we hire people that only look like us. We have to start diversifying uh who we hire, and we have to start working a bit harder to find people who don't look like us in our hiring, and that becoming a much more mainstream approach, and definitely. We're not over that hump yet, um, but definitely it's in our radars. Most most senior execs would have it in their radars that they should be thinking diversely about hiring for their companies because it, if nothing else, it will make their companies likely perform better because diverse teams generally perform better. I think we have to have the same realization with venture capital that actually our portfolios might perform better <laughs> if we had a more diverse group of people uh sitting at the table getting capital um and building businesses and so we've we've that's the first thing really the the gatekeepers absolutely have to start thinking differently about it being okay to uh, not be okay to only invest in people that look like them or um you know a mono cultural approach to investing. We've we've got to do something about that. We've got to do it quickly, um, and we've got to 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 do it overtly. And and that means people of color have to be sitting at the table and women have to be sitting at the table. Um, so that's that's the first thing. The second thing is women have got to start thinking bigger so the other problematic stat is that only two percent of women-led businesses ever do more than a million dollars of revenue so there's a Get problem. Out. are you, are you yes. serious yes exactly so only two percent of all women-led businesses do more than a million dollars of revenue so women have got to start thinking differently about the women that they build If we want to be more investable, we've got to be building different kinds of businesses. So that's the thing we can control, right? We can't control the gatekeepers. The gatekeepers have to do that by themselves. But the thing we can control is building bigger, thinking bigger, um, taking the ceilings off the things that we think about and and the things that hold us back to be able to build businesses that are... um, completely different than what we're doing today. And how do we do that? Well, we surround ourselves and we find people to help us think differently than we already think. We help, we help, we get people to help us get unstuck. We get coaches, we get mentors, we belong to associations and networks and we join WPO and EO and we do what we, you know, and our chambers of commerce and we get help because, um, it is okay for us to say, I don't know how to do this. I have no idea to how to build a business that does more than a million dollars of revenue. I don't even know how to build a business that does a million dollars of revenue. Get help. Um, because women, if we don't, this, this is what we're saddled with, right? And women, have to start thinking about building different kinds of businesses and businesses that scale. And we have to give ourselves permission. We have to say we are able, we are capable, um, and we will find the resources to be able to do that. Um, And we will do it um, because I think the world needs us to do it. Uh, I think the world will be a much better place for all of us if women do it. Um, and yes, I know we have childcare responsibilities, and you know an unequal burden for managing our homes and managing our children's lives. Um, but it is possible to do it. Um, we just need to ask for help and not be afraid to ask for help.
0: Do you notice in some of the women founders and entrepreneurs that you work with, they had a vision when they came in and when they raised money from you, but then being in your Uh, your ecosystem, just being around you all the time and and having these different conversations. Do you see the vision start to change?
1: hundred percent. Absolutely. It's almost like you give women permission and and when I first hear them pitch and they they give me their realistic pitch and then I say, okay, let's multiply that by a hundred. Let's think about doing that a hundred times bigger than you're imagining today. And then they go, oh, okay. All right, let's do that. And it's it's not like it suddenly is like, oh no, I can't do that. It's like somebody giving you permission to think like that. Somebody saying, that's not overly ambitious, that's not inappropriate for you. We could do this. Let's do that. And then suddenly that's a game changer for women, because then you you've taken off the, the 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 mindset that you've maybe come to the table with and someone has helped you shift your thinking, and you're surrounded by other women who are thinking the same, which is really powerful, because then you don't feel like you're crazy. Um, then you just feel like, oh, this feels much more normal. And that's what we need for women. We need it to feel much more normal to be talking about doing $100 million of revenue. That needs to be normal.
0: Well, if you just like, if you if you equate it to the that stat you just dropped, you said less than two percent do a million. So say that there's probably a stat for men, and it's going to be much higher, I would assume. So say that I'm going to pick a random number, say fifty percent. So that just means that five out of ten of your friends have had businesses in your peer group have had businesses that have, if you're an entrepreneur, that have done over a million. So that's normal. It's almost like if you don't do under a million, if you don't do over a million, then you're actually in the minority.
1: Not normal. It's not yeah, normal. Yeah, exactly.
0: So it, it, if you take that, if you take another equal peer group of of 10 women and 2%, that means that, well, that means like, one, like with two, uh, two or no, or, sorry, that's, that'd be 20%. That would be, yeah, so that would be like less than, less than one, and maybe none in that particular sample size of 10 people has ever done a, a business of of Over a million, so then all the conversations you have with everybody every single day casually is going to be like, Well, you know my business does this, and it's basically a glorified job, and it's making two hundred three hundred thousand dollars or five hundred six hundred and that's pretty much a normal conversation if this If these stats are valid, that's wild, and that would totally be like a game changer it would it would completely impact how I view business,
1: yeah totally because you'd be surrounded by people who were having different conversations than you were having and your normal would now be a different normal and the amazing thing about our normals changing is that when our normal changes a whole people a whole load of other people's normals are changed right so imagine the difference your business can make if you go from doing 1 million in revenue to 10 million in revenue imagine how many jobs you just created, how many, imagine how many single moms just put their kids through school or college or whatever. Imagine what you are able to do by building a bigger business. And I often think women think it's, it's like, um, inappropriate to build something big. (laughs) It's because we don't want to be seen to be like, you know, we don't want to be like the the boys. We don't want to be like the boys club, right? It's ugly. And we, you know, capitalism's ugly and, you know, there's lots about it that, that we can't identify with, but when you start thinking about the impact that my business could have when I'm a ten million dollar revenue business or a twenty million dollar revenue business opposed to a you know hundred thousand dollar business, the impact's extraordinary you know the number of lives the number of people's you know families the education people can get you know the opportunities that people will have it's just it's just totally different and the impact and the causes that we care about we can we have a platform for um and that we can do something about and we can drive change and you know and i think when women have wealth they have more choices um they they potentially have the opportunity to have better lives um and you know the ripple the ripple effects for our communities will be extraordinary and that's you know that's what we've got to start wrapping our brains around and not just thinking well, I don't think I can, but but start asking ourselves, why why can I not? Why can I not do that? And and what's it going to take for me to to make that happen? And and start putting yourself in the room where you don't feel like you belong today. But spending ten minutes in that room will make you feel like no, if they can do it, I can definitely do it. And that's what we need to do. We're putting ourselves in rooms where people are doing bigger and better things than we're doing.
0: It's it's just very interesting because you mentioned like the almost like the aversion to capitalism, and I I do believe it's because if you look at the largest companies in the world and the most prolific entrepreneurs, uh, there's a lot of negative though. There's a lot of negative that's covered, and and you know, pick pick a a name that everyone knows like Elon Musk. People love him, people hate him for a variety of different reasons, and. Or or any, any company that lays off people, then that'll be in the news. You know, X company laid off X percentage of people. But if you actually think, stop and think for a second. Yes, there was layoffs for one period in one moment in time in that company's life cycle, or maybe even twice. But over the course of the 10 years of that company, how many careers did that company make? How many How many opportunities did that company create? And there's a lot of negative, but there's a lot of positive that isn't covered. When you when you grow from no employees and and nothing to thousands and thousands of employees, that's thousands and thousands of employees that have had careers and livelihoods for a significant period of time.
1: And I think in in conjunction with that, women get to lead differently. We don't have to lead like Elon Musk, right? We don't. No, have you don't. To lead you definitely like don't. <laughs> <laughs> you can lead. There's a lot of other ways to lead. We don't have, yes. to, we don't have to optimize every millisecond. You know every for the bottom line we can optimize for good we can optimize for our people right we can optimize there are many ways we can optimize um but making money gives us choices um and we can choose to build better companies we can choose choose to to build in in ways that are sustainable and long term and that we care about people the planet and and, and our you know our world so that's that's what we've got to do, and I think we there are not, have not been enough precedents of women leading. Um, I have a friend who became the twenty second woman in history and she happens to be a black woman, so the first black woman in history to have ever taken a company public. And I was like, 22 women have done that. That's, wow, <laughs> that's not a lot of women.
0: It's so in twenty twenty three that we, shouldn't be that shouldn't be such a low number.
1: No no, it shouldn't. So we have an opportunity. We just have to decide we're going to do something about it. And it doesn't have to look like it's been done for the last million years. We can do it our own way. We can lead in ways that that matter to us. We don't have to follow the examples of, you know, the people we don't like. Um, We don't have to worry about, you know, people who've made money are the bad guys the people who've made money with the bad guys are the people who are not seemingly doing enough for the little guys um and that's our opportunity right let's let's lead in a way that we take everyone with us um because being wealthy on your own is pretty boring anyway so let's (laughs) let's 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 build wealth for the masses and make life better for everyone
0: i love that so um I have one question I would ask everyone before we, before we close these out, but before we pivot, um, what would be one final piece of advice, um, or word of advice you'd want to give young, young entrepreneurs, people that are looking to build something, raise money, you've given a lot, but what would be like the one parting thing that we didn't go into or that you wanted to cover?
1: I'd maybe say dream bigger that would, we, we kind of talked about it, but I would say it again. Um, don't be afraid to dream big. Don't let anyone sit on squash your ideas or tell you you can't or that you shouldn't or that you don't belong in a certain room or a certain table. Um, think bigger. Dream bigger. Believe in yourself. Believe in yourself and other people will believe in you. Um, so dream big.
0: I love it. Okay. Um, if people do want to connect with you, where should they go? Where do you want to send people? Social, website, all of that? Um,
1: yeah, I'm really active on LinkedIn. So uh, follow me on LinkedIn at Sarah Dusick um and also on instagram but if you want to connect with me you can find me on linkedin
0: perfect and then after all of this um what does success mean to you
1: (laughs) you are asking the big ones today scott (laughs) (laughs) um i think it's quite simple actually success for me or maybe it's twofold success for me means um leaving the world in a better place than when I arrived in it. So hopefully moving the world forward, doing something to move the world forward, even just a, just a little bit. And um, connected with that, um, fulfilling and doing everything that I was designed and made to be and do. So fulfilling your destiny and your potential, I guess, not leaving anything on the table, putting it all out there. That's what success is.